right, good morning again. It's that time to dig into the Word of God. Jesus said, hey, listen, you humans, you cannot live just by eating food. You need the Word that comes from God, who is the source of our lives. Amen? Amen. And so let's ask God to make His Word come alive in our hearts. Father God, we look to you. These aren't just words like some novel. They're words from heaven, as the Bible says about the Bible. God breathed words that the scriptures did not have their origin in any man, but holy men of old, moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit, spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we receive what is the words of life from God. This morning, do your work, change us, God. Encourage us. There's a lot going on in the persecution of Paul for the gospel that's relevant to all of our lives, God, today. So teach us here from Acts chapter uh, 25. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Waiting. Well, waiting is one of the more unpleasant things in life. Um, I think you'd all agree. Let's see by a show of hands how many of you just love waiting. Yeah. <laughs> And even though we live in modern times and we're spoiled rotten by all kinds of technologies that really help eliminate the annoyance of having to wait, even so, we get so easily irritated. It's like the end of the world if a page on your computer screen takes more than three seconds to load. I mean, we call IT like, get in here, it's an emergency. What's wrong? It took three seconds to load, you know, human nature. We don't like waiting for an appointment. We don't like waiting for the light to turn green. We don't like it if the light turns green and the guy in front of us didn't notice that. <laughs> oh my goodness, thou shalt not lay on the horn <laughs> by Christian. <laughs> oh my goodness, we don't like waiting for someone to get back to us and we don't like waiting on God. And he does it to us all the time. Have you noticed that his timetable and yours, his scheduling and yours and mine, they're two different things, aren't they? <laughs> right. And so the cool thing is, is that God has our backs. He's maneuvering things in our lives for our good plans to prosper us, plans to give us a hope in a future, not to harm us, to work everything out for good. So really, his time and his wisdom in our hearts and lives is the best. And I think, you know, harding is just, waiting is a hard thing to do. And I just think that that is why the Psalms talk about waiting. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart. Wait for the Lord. And then comes the response in the Psalms. I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. That's Psalm 130. Now I wonder here in Acts 25 if these words were on the lips of the Apostle Paul. He loves the Psalms. He quoted 23 Psalms in the New Testament. In Paul's writings, there are 23 references from 23 different psalms. So is it possible that as something that 
should have taken a few days is now stretched into two years of waiting. Are these words bubbling up from his heart as he's battling frustration and the injustice of it all in uh, under house arrest, as it were, there in Caesarea? Why? Because he's doing what God called him to do, trying to help people come to heaven and not to perish, to come to know the love of God and have purpose and meaning and joy. And for that, he's in chains and he's waiting. God is giving him grace. He's stuck in a holding pattern. He's caught between two administrations that are changing and... Uh, it's, it's been stretching on for a couple of years. So let's look at the last verse of the last chapter, and then we spill over into uh, this morning's passage, Acts 25. So when two years had passed, Governor Felix was succeeded by Portia, Portia, Por, Porkchop, <laughs> Porcius Festus, <laughs> Oh, man, these names. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison, even though he wasn't convicted. Verse 25, verse 1, three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So we're talking elevation, not direction, because he's actually went south to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges once again, two years later, against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem because they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Governor Festus answered, yeah, Paul's being held in Caesarea. And I myself am going there soon because that's where I live and that's where I do my business, <laughs> implied here. Verse 5, let some of your leaders, I like it in the Greek, it says your first men, some of your leaders, come with me and press charges against the man if he has done anything wrong. And in the Greek, if he's done anything wrong is out of place, if there's something out of place. It just, I like the little nuances of the original. And so that's where we'll park from now. For now, we'll get down to verse 12 and his famous appeal to Caesar uh, this morning. And so, yeah, this ongoing trial in Paul's life pun intended, because he's got a trial, but it's quite literally legal action against him uh, because of the gospel that people around him uh, do not wish to hear. And they've gone so far as to want to kill him, to stop him, because he's sort of the driving force of evangelical Christianity in the first century. And so they figure if we kill him and shut him up, it'll put a dent in the whole momentum of the Christian movement. And that's what they're after here. But, you know, I imagine it's also frustrating to Paul, but what we're taking away and how this is relevant to us is, is that through the injustice, through the pain of being falsely accused and all of that, we never really see Paul loses cool. He has peace. It just seems to me that he always focuses on the promises of God and not the problem. And 
that he seems to, my takeaway, he seems to, when difficulties come, turn it into an opportunity to give his testimony and to defend himself by sharing the gospel. And so I think that's a good way to think about life, that God has allowed you in the circumstance you are in now so that you could shine some light to people who need to hear. The problem with having a pity party, of course, and, and is that you don't see what God is trying to do in you and through you to those around you. And so God has always got a redemptive purpose in every circumstance. He's allowing you to face and me to face, even if it's uncomfortable. And you just think, God, if I were God, I would not have scripted this. You know, I would not have entrusted this ordeal to me, you know, because I'm the least likely to withstand this kind of pressure, you know. And yet God goes, trust me. I've been around for a while, you know? I know what I'm doing, and I've got your best interest. So, you know, yes, <laughs> this is a historical chapter, but the relevance is so rich, you see? Paul's called to preach the gospel in a world that's very hostile, and the calling is on you and me in a world that's just as hostile as ever. Jesus put it this way, John chapter 3, right after our favorite beloved verse 16, it says, uh, here's the verdict. Jesus speaking, light has come into the world, but men love darkness. And because the gospel exposes their sin and their need of a savior, which is the first step in salvation, they push back because of offense and fear and uh, not wanting their sins to be exposed. And so that's just part and parcel of the Christian life. Uh, so I think as we look at this uh, chapter and coming up with King Agrippa, the things that kind of crack it open for us is thinking, this is what we can expect from the world always. This is how Paul is handling it as a mature Christian. And here's what we can expect from God, his faithfulness, his grace, his providential guidance through the storms of life. And so this is it here. And so, yeah, it's been going on a long time. We, we jump right in here. Uh, what has happened? It's, he, it, your verse says two years have, have lapsed unbelievable, but the governor before, Felix, you know, it started in chapter uh, 23, just let's get caught up, some of you weren't uh, here for that, and so uh, it all started in the temple courts, didn't it, in Jerusalem, uh, they're 60 miles north now at prison at another outpost that's much like this one, so Rome uh, let, let's start with the problem. He's in here worshiping and a hater, an unbeliever, stirred up a mob that just wanted to tear him from limb to limb and kill him. And so he was really uh, rescued by Claudius Lysias, a Roman commander, who pulled him, snatched him out of their murderous hands. And so Paul was able, he stood on those steps, there's steps right here. He stood on steps right around there and he shared his testimony to the crowd, which caused another murderous, riotous mob when he got to a certain part they didn't like. So he took him 
into the barracks, and the next day they had a hearing here on site in these buildings, and it broke into another mob. So then when they heard, when Claudius Lucius, the commander, heard that there was a plot to assassinate Paul, that 40 Jewish terrorists said, we swear to God we're not going to eat a bite of food or drink a drop of water until that man is dead by our own hands. And so when he heard that, he he said, I've got to get Paul out, out of here. So under the cover of darkness and uh, hundreds of soldiers surrounding Paul, uh, up 60 miles to Caesarea they went. So this is 60 miles, okay? And of course, it stops in a place where we always go when we go to uh, Israel. But uh, what's up with all these Roman outposts? There's a Roman outpost there. Let me show you the Roman rule of the first century. Uh, there, these countries had no, the countries in beige there, brown, whatever that is, uh, they have no autonomy. Rome, Caesar is Lord, and they're in the Roman Empire, period. But it doesn't matter what language you speak or what God you serve, but you will come under Lord Caesar. And so there were military outposts there in Jerusalem and then also in Caesarea. So Paul is transferred up north. Caesarea, the remains there are awesome. The, you can see here on the slide the Colosseum. Thank you. And yeah, so we go there. This is where Paul is. This is where Paul would be speaking. This would be Paul perhaps even here in the uh, uh, arena sharing these defenses. There's somewhere in the area he is there uh, uh, waiting and waiting and serving God. And to Paul, he's a Roman citizen. He's not been... Um, convicted, he's he's under house arrest in the palace there, right? So and the governor let him have his friends come all the time. So the friends are coming in, they're having Bible studies, and they're quote supplying everything he needs. He's writing epistles. This is, could be the place that he wrote Philippians, Ephesians. Uh, it's either here or Rome, but he certainly can be writing the epistles right here, which are called the prison epistles. So Paul is biding his time well. He's not saying, oh, get this, please get this. He's not saying, after all the years I have served you, where's the promise of deliverance? Two years, he's not doing that. He's not saying, I need to take a little time off and just kind of kind of upset, you know, and you know. No, 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 he doesn't do that. He says, God, thank you. You're using me. You put me in a place of darkness. And then he tells the Philippians, he says, because of my imprisonment, the whole palace guard has come to know the gospel. And he's praising God. And he's saying, God is using all of our troubles for good. So the second we just kind of accept that, we'll stop looking at the problem and rather at the opportunity if we're willing to think that way. And we are. Amen? Amen. So, yeah, back to the text here. You know, um, it's just the same old story here. Um, 
three days after arriving, <laughs> three days, you know, he's the new guy. He's the new sheriff in town. And how he is rated as a governor is how well he keeps the peace in his region. And his region is Judea. And so he, smart guy, he's a diplomat. By the way, historians give him an A. He's a good guy. Uh, but, however, he's weak in moral character and wants zero to do with religion. He's a secular moralist kind of guy. Felix was a loser, all right? According to Josephus, he was a loser who got called back. He got a recall. And that's why the new governor is here. And the new governor is smart. Go to the power center. Go to the big guns. And so he goes down to Jerusalem to meet with them. And look at how hot-headed they still are after two years. Two years pass, and that's what happens when you harden your heart toward God. Things just get worse and worse. Bitterness goes deeper. Anger increases. Resentment. They become murderous. They are religious men quoting scriptures, standing up and teaching the crowd in God's name. And they're setting an ambush for God's man, God's hero, to kill him. And all the lies they're telling. These are guys in robes, praying long prayers. This is what happens when you secretly, when you have a religious outward experience, but not inner transformation. And sadly, you meet those kinds of people. They're Christian on the outside in every way, shape, and form, but just listen to what comes out of their mouths. Well, Houston, (laughs) we have a problem. All right. So it doesn't always mean they're not a believer, but there's a short circuit somewhere. And uh, yes, indeed. So urgently pleading. So, So just, you know, don't harden your heart like that. So their request to Festus now is scandalous on many layers. Um, Here's what they're saying. Look, if you want our endorsement, if you want us to leave a five-star review on Google for you, which you know the emperor's going to see, then you'll do us a favor. See, See that in your text? As a favor to us. Do you want our favor? Well, then you'll do us a favor. Do you, uh, you know, uh, I'll scratch your back, you scratch our, my back, and all of that, right? And that's what's going on here. Uh, and, and here's what they're saying. They're saying, you know, we got, we got this guy. He's super dangerous. He's nasty. He's a horrible human being. And he happens to be back where you live and up 60 miles the road there north. Uh, you know, would you, would you just let us have him? We really want to kill, or we really want to try him and bring him to justice. But what they're going to try to do is, of course, kill him. And, and look at how random a thought that God, the sovereign God, who's in the room, whether you see him or not, dealing with a godless governor who randomly is prompted to uh, exert his macho uh, ego, and say, uh, no, I live in Caesarea. That's where I do my business. That's where Paul is. Now, if one of you guys or a few of you big important people want to come with me to my house where I could do it where I'm comfortable, then I'll do it there if he's done anything wrong. You see, now look at this. God just saved Paul's life. 
Nobody even knows it, right? A random thought, and that's the way he always works with all of us. We have a God who is randomly, uh, or so it seems, uh, manipulating people's thoughts. Anybody that has anything to do with you and their decision impacts your life is under the sway of not even the person, not even the devil. Not, not, the only person who's in charge of your life ultimately is God. And he's allowing things, sometimes he allows things he hates to accomplish things he loves. But just know this, your circumstance now, he's loving it. I'm sorry. He's loving it for the good that can come of it for you and for those around you. So don't despise it. Yes, if you want to pray about getting through it, sure. Or that God will remove it. Yeah, of course. That's normal. But accept it for what it is and ask God, what are you doing in me and through me in this moment? So you can be effective and productive uh, for him. Moving on. Verse 6. After spending eight or ten days with them down in Temple Town, uh, he went down, he went up to Caesarea. He can go first down the hill and then up to Caesarea. And the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought in for round two, which is really more like round 100. If, you're, if you've been studying in the book of Acts, Paul's always in trouble before a tribunal somewhere. Why? Because he loves people and he obeys God. And he says things people don't want to hear. Sound familiar? When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down and then up <laughs> stood around him like a bunch of snarling animals. Sorry, I put that in there. Uh, bringing many, many, many serious charges against this man of God, which they couldn't prove. You know why they couldn't prove it? Because it didn't happen. It's hard to prove something that never took place. Good luck with that. Um, then even the liars, even how much cash they said, we need eyewitnesses, to lie and perjure in a Roman court of a Roman citizen of Paul's stature is to lose your head. So nobody is willing to say, yeah, I saw him when there's no proof and then you found out to be a perjurer, <laughs> off with your head. Did you like the sound effect there? Yeah. <laughs> I throw those in for free if you're new. <laughs> Just so you know. Then Paul made his defense and now we know what some of the charges were because here are the three categories and this is synopsis this probably went on for hours but since we've had a pattern of this through the book of Acts we already know the details so it's just summed up in two sentences because it's been happening over and over and just happened last chapter so Luke is like spare, spare us we don't need to know, hear it all over again I've done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews the Jewish religion. I haven't sinned. I'm a good Jew, actually. That's what he's saying. Or against the temple, because they keep saying that he goes in and he defiles the temple. Or against Caesar, that he's uh, inciting riots uh, in an, like an anarchist uh, to cause sedition 
treachery to the state because he proclaims a king and a higher authority than the emperor. So the Romans only know we got one Lord and that's Caesar. Caesar is Lord. Everybody said it. But he keeps saying, well, excuse me, Jesus is Lord and his kingdom above the kingdom here in Rome. So that's what was getting him in trouble. So we'll park here for a second and talk about when we get litigated. Uh, So from the Jewish request here to uh, Paul's hearing now, if you're taking notes. And so, you know, it just goes around and around and around. Um, Paul's opponent opponents dish up the lies and the false accusations and Paul defends himself and shares his testimony and the gospel. So they're bringing many serious uh, uh, charges. I've already talked about uh, some of them, but yeah, he, he's, they say, he, he says, listen, they say I'm a heretic and I'm, I'm breaking all the Jewish customs and I'm preaching a false gospel. I'll show you everything I preach in their Bible. I'll proof text it. I'm a good Jew, I was a Pharisee, I believe in the same God and Bible they use, and really what it comes down to is I'm telling them they're sinners, and they don't want to repent and receive the the Messiah, and that's why I'm in trouble. And then number two, I didn't defile the temple, and here's why defiling the temples could get your head cut off. Rome wanted peace at any cost, and Rome knows everybody's got their own gods and systems in that big Roman Empire. So the deal was peace or die. So everybody had to accept everybody else's temples and shrines and not to desecrate them. To desecrate them was to cause a riot and you were deemed a troublemaker and uh, off with your head. And so that was a serious crime. And of course, Paul wasn't... uh, Um, defiling the temple. He was worshiping in the temple. And so these are the things that he had to defend himself. And he would say, you know what? Why they really hate me, your honor? Because I was one of them. And they know that. I was the head Pharisee. My department was persecuting people like me now. And so there's an increased hostility toward me because I'm considered a traitor. I'm a Pharisee. They're Pharisees. That man there, he's a Pharisee. My father was a Pharisee. And I believe everything he believes, and that's why they're mad at me and want me dead. And so this is what you can expect from the world and uh, hostility and litigation to get you in trouble. So Why this is relevant is because we see it now around us, even though the country was founded uh, on Judeo-Christian values. The Supreme Court has carved Bible images of eight, eight times all over the place is the Ten Commandments and Moses and all of these scriptures on the buildings. And so, but time has changed to where now... Those who hate the gospel, some of them, will will try to get Christians in trouble. So the form of persecution, instead of just cutting off the relationship or disinheriting you from the will or firing you from your job, 
is to litigate against you, will get you in trouble with the authorities. Now, and, and that's where false accusations, because if you get, yeah, you can't go to the police and charge somebody with nothing. So you have to make something up. And so that's what they were good at. Now, we see that a lot through the ages. And just to refresh your memory, that you're, if you've ever been falsely accused uh, because of your faith, you know, somebody just tries to discredit you by insulting you in a way that's not true. Know you're in good company. Potiphar's wife smeared uh, Joseph's reputation with a bunch of lies and, and got him to do some jail time. Uh, Daniel's subordinates were jealous of him, accused him of civil disobedience. And that got him dumped into the lion's den. But no worries. God brought Joseph out of the slammer and put him on a throne. Daniel, oh my goodness, he was lifted out of the lion's den. And it says there in Daniel chapter 6 that no harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. And that ultimately will always be the case. Let the false accusations come. They are hurtful. Oh my goodness. The sting is is that's usually just the opposite of what's being said. You know, instead of being an insurrectionist, he's actually preaching Romans 13. Submit to the governing authorities and respect them and pray for them and pay your taxes to quote them. Oh my goodness, that's the ow, is is that the lie is really 180 degrees from who you really are. Awesome. But they accused Jesus, didn't they? I'll list a mile long. They accused our Lord of being a, a, a glutton. They accused him of being a lowlife. You're a, you hang out with lowlifes, that makes you a lowlife. They accuse our Lord Jesus of being demon-possessed. You want to know how he does those miracles? By Satan's power that lives in him. Wow. Now, how did Jesus respond to that? Well, Peter tells us that when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God the Father, who judges justly. That's a beautiful thing. There's the scripture there. Now, uh, we yes, we entrust ourselves to God. Uh, and King David knew all about that. And when you are insulted for Christ um, and persecuted for him, hang out in the Psalms. Psalm 64 Listen to this. Hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked, from the plots of evildoers. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. They shoot from ambush at the innocent. They shoot suddenly without fear. They plot injustice and say, we've devised the perfect plan, but God will shoot them with his arrows. Notice he leaves it to God. He doesn't grab a bowstring. <laughs> he says, God is on this. They will suddenly be struck down. He will turn their own tongues against them and bring them to ruin. All who see them will shake their heads in scorn. And that's exactly what's going to happen because everyone who passes by Jerusalem in 10 years will shake 
their head in scorn. So, so the guys in the courtroom, the Jews, have 10 years to live because Rome's coming in in 70 AD and going to level the place. And, and historians say 1 million Jews died in the massacre. And they're right, they're right at, those men are right at Grand Central Station right there. So the, the, the clock's ticking. And here's a message that could prepare them for that. So that in that day, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with God because your sins are forgiven, they could be, pre- be being prepared, but instead they're hardening their hearts. Proverbs 29 verse 1 says, He who hardens his heart after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. God's been reaching out to them for 1,400 years. Then they had God in a body standing this close to them, hearing the audible voice of God. And still, some of them chose to resist. That's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, Let's finish up, at least our time with Festus. Because King Agrippa is going to drop by and that's going to start a a whole nother hearing next week. Uh, But let's finish up here. Festus wishing to do the Jews a favor. He's thinking about his survey that's going to happen. Says to Paul, are you willing to go down to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul said, absolutely not. I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I haven't done anything wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. I I feel like that's an anointed arrow right into the heart of this good man. You know, you know exactly what's going on here. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I don't refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews aren't true... No one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar that this is huge. After Festus had conferred with counsel, because hardly anyone could do that except a Roman citizen with honors. You had to have the full-fledged Roman citizen card, which he has. And he's playing it. Love it with great implications for us, which I'm going to talk about. After Festus talks it over, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or whether he just put it together, he knows God told him the Lord appeared to him and said, son, you are going to Rome. I want you to give your testimony before the court of Caesar. So he knows this. So he's like, ah, Jerusalem where they want to kill me. But I do have, the only thing I have left beside the Lord is my Roman right to appeal. At any time in the proceedings, you could take your Roman citizen card and say, I appeal to a higher court because justice is not happening here. So he appeals. And he lets that appeal go through. And Paul is thinking, now good, I don't need to raise any funds to get to Rome. It's an all-expense-paid trip uh, to all my meals are provided, everything I need. And as a 
since he was not convicted yet, he was treated with honor. Even though he was a prisoner, his friends were allowed to visit him. He had Bible studies and all of this. And so, yes, it was bad being in chains, but God was with him and giving him uh, some honor there. Uh, Festus is back to square one. He's caught between that, that rock and a hard place. Again, just like his predecessor, you know, I know he's innocent, which he'll say. He's going to tell King Agrippa, I got this guy. Maybe you want to hear him. You know, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't. They, they're having some religious squabble. That's what he says. So he knows. He knows. But he's stuck. So if he acquits him, he's going to get a one star He's going to get a Google review. I'm sorry I keep using that, but that this is exactly what's happening. He's going to get, that's why Felix was recalled, because of the complaints of the Jews. So he's trying to keep his job by saying, okay, well, I can't really force him to go down there. Paul, are you willing? Let's go down to Jerusalem and figure this all this Jewish stuff out. And that's when Paul says, and Paul knows, this is not going to help me to go there. And I have a legal right. So I'm going to use the legal right not to litigate against somebody, but to defend myself. Let's talk about this. Now, I get criticized sometimes. I get a lot more accolades and, and, and warm fuzzies from this congregation than I ever have in my life. However, there are always a couple people who say things like, why don't you ever talk like other pastors about political things? And, and, and I say, guess what? I'm a Bible teacher. I teach the Bible. But when somebody is in court uh, defending the gospel and defending his life and he appeals to a higher court, guess what? I could talk about all of this stuff because it's relevant and it makes sense. So there you go. I just defended myself in the court uh, there. So yeah, so he, he, he's going to go there. Now, Christians and litigation, it's a big subject. Number one, as I said, he's not aggressively with hostility going after somebody, which plainly we are called to consider not doing that, uh, especially toward another believer. Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians who were suing each other, you know, you know, you didn't bring back my shovel, you know, so they take it to court, you know, and, 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 and Paul says, you know what, you guys, that's a disgrace. These, these people know you go to church, they know you're a Christian, and they see you squabbling back and forth for what? For your shovel, for your tractor, for your, your, the, the rear end uh, collision, whatever. He goes, Paul says, this is Bible. Why not rather be wronged than, and trust God? Jesus said the same kind of thing. He said, listen, if there's an aggressive thing going on, don't fall into it. Don't become like them, and they're suing you for your shirt, you know, and, and look at it. It's a little small thing. They're suing you for this. He goes, why don't you give him the shirt and then stop at Nordstrom Rack and pick up a coat and say, you know, I just thought you could use a coat too. You know, that's Jesus' thing. I, and, and by the look on your faces, it's the most unpopular thing Jesus ever said. 
what are you talking about, Jesus? Someone's suing me, and I'm going to throw in something. Like, he, he sues me for my car, and then I, I throw in a bike in the back seat, you know? God says, you, I just want to keep your heart sweet. And not being like, you sue me, I'll show you. I got a, I got a, a Jewish law firm that is from Jerusalem. Now, however, Paul is using the court system that affords him the right to defend the gospel and defend himself. With love in his heart, with humility, he says, I'm going to make use of my right to appeal to a higher court. That's what he does. And I believe that this is a precedent, and so do many others, for Christians in this kind of circumstance to defend themselves and to defend God's vested interests and the faith. So these kinds of things happen. Especially when God's authority, which is the government, is doing something that's unjust, then we can appeal. Just is exactly what's happening here. Now, and I will bring some modern day examples for you who love that so much. Um, Churches and synagogues, as you know, were unjustly singled out and forced to shut down while Safeway, Home Depot, ice cream shops, liquor stores, marijuana dispensaries, and abortion clinics could remain open, but no churches. All right. So offending churches that did open their doors like ours uh, were fined and harassed and demonized and slandered in the local papers and all of this. And many pastors were forced to appeal to Caesar. And in this case, Caesar sided on the church's side. So many of them, like Pastor John MacArthur for Grace Community Church in L.A., they won their legal battle with the state of California and the county of Los Angeles, who both the state and the county were ordered by the courts to pay each $400,000 to the church, which they used to... You can applaud. But see, isn't it a dangerous slope? It's a slippery slope. Because here we are, we're doing it, you know, that righteous indignation thing, you know, and before long, we're no longer loving them. We're no longer thinking of them as sinners who need God's grace, and we love and pray for them, you see? Because then we're become, ah, see there. And that's exactly what Jesus says. No, don't do that. Defend yourself, defend the gospel, pray for them, keep a humble heart, act in ways becoming of Christians. Pastor John said, I appeal to Caesar. And Caesar said, we're going to side with the church on this. And this is what they said. And California had to pay $2 million dollars in fines to various different uh, churches and nonprofits. The hypocrisy was crazy, and that's what the court cited 
is this that this this one standard for churches and everybody else, you know, like Chevy's with the no singing thing. So we couldn't sing praises to God. But if you went to Chevy's on your birthday, they'd all come over and they'd sing happy, happy birthday. But you can't do this at church. Boom. You know, that was all just like right there. If you're new to the church, I don't always act like this. Okay, maybe once in a while. Yeah, so no. And with no masks. No masks at BJ's down the street, but all of you better have a mask on. The entire restaurant sitting like this. No need, just go in, laugh on everybody, talk, have a margarita, you know. But don't go to church without a mask on. So the, the courts, the courts, the godless courts were saying, you know what, something about that's not right. So let's side with the churches, you know. So it, it goes on. I, I want to say this. We're not doormats, all right? We're not doormats. Now, I'm speaking to people who don't err on the side of being doormats. So what I need to say to you guys is that we're not crusaders either. Somewhere in the middle would be nice to where we're able to, with the right spirit, and with the wisdom of God, handle these things. Now, I will close out with some of the more, more things that are pressing. And this is just coming down on all of us, everybody in this room. Employers, sports teams, armed services, schools are now forcing Christians to violate their, their consciences on many different levels whether it's taking a vaccine or, 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 or supporting a cause that they'd rather not support. We all, Christians, love people. Every kind of sinner imaginable is welcomed here. We preach the gospel of repentance. The Holy Spirit comes in. We applaud the new behavior. Uh, but we don't, for example, uh, Kroger's in the South. It's like a Safeway chain whatever. And they had two older women who were Christians and, and they wanted them to wear certain colors and, and, and a pin and an and a apron right, to support LGBTQT uh, lifestyles. Now, here's what they said. They said, hey, listen, we, uh, I'm a gay brother, love him, uh, and his lover, you know, whatever. And we just, we're, we're cool with gay people. We love gay people. We just don't want to wear the colors because uh, we're Christians and, and we just say, we, while we love you, we don't really agree with that particular choice. That's all. I love you, right? So they said, wear it or we're firing you. So they fired them. Then they appealed to Caesar. And Caesar said, Kroger's, you will pay them $180,000 for violating their freedom of religion by forcing them to do something against their conscience like that. We're just stuck. We're stuck. There's no way out, unless you change the gospel, which a lot of our friends have done. But if you don't change the 
the, the gospel, you are stuck. Because you've got to stand up. You've got to say something. You're forced into it, you know? You, you, you're going to put on the jersey. The hockey team is telling them all to wear the jersey with the colors. And one guy said the same thing. I love everybody. I don't care what they're doing in the privacy of their lives. I really don't. That's between them and God. But you can't put on me telling me that I'm going to advocate a behavior that the Bible clearly says not God's first design or design ever. So we're just stuck. And you have to, with courage and wisdom, stand up. Kids are having their Bibles confiscated at schools. Teachers are being told you can't wear a cross. Uh, statues depicting the Ten Commandments are removed. The manger scenes, the Christmas musicals at schools. Uh, babies in a womb. So we appeal to Caesar. Hey, listen. Babies in a womb. It's important to God. I appeal to Caesar. And Caesar said, you know what? Roe v. Wade. Let's overturn that. Now there are now there are 17 states where you can't go into a woman's womb and snatch out the body because it's inconvenient for you. So what am I saying? I'm saying it's time to fight back. I think we should support that. What is it? A C. LJ, it's uh, Jay Seculo's uh, organization. I think we should support it because by supporting them, it may be you and it may be me <laughs> next in line. So uh, with this sobering message, I end with this. Listen, we fight back. We fight back with prayer for our persecutors. We fight back with love in our hearts for our enemies we fight back with kind words and humble tones. And sometimes we fight back by hiring a really good lawyer. Let's pray. Father, this is a slippery slope. Help us to just get it right, God. To see Paul's example, using his legal rights that you gave him in a way that helped facilitate your goodwill. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.